The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Good morning. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com, World Talk Radio. It's the Catherine Zox Show with Lauren Beller-Blake, my co-host. How are you this morning, Lauren? Good morning, Catherine. I'm well, calling from sunny Southern California this morning. It's very, very early for me. We are coast to coast, and in case any of you haven't been listening, Lauren, just move to the West Coast. Uh, Family, husband, daughter, dog... Um, the whole kit and caboodle, and it is a major stressful, physical, and emotional event in one's life. So I think, Lauren, we need to talk about it because, I mean, your business is all about, as well as mine, but we do it from a different perspective, but helping women and helping working women and women make it, having a balance in their life and all that. So what do you have to, because I think and I, that moving and moving the way you did from, Texas to the West Coast, um, is the third most stressful thing that happens in one's life that you have to adjust to, especially as a family. Different if you're, I think, somewhat if you're a single person. Totally agree with you. As I sit here with a cold sore on my lip. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's why we're co-hosts. Every time something happens in my life I can't deal with, I get this huge hunker cold sore on my lips. I haven't had one in a really long time, and I woke up yesterday, and I'm like, what is this? <laughs> anyway, yeah, I, you know, I was taking it really lightly, and so was my husband, which is, I think is a big deal. He took it like, it's no big deal. Why are you making such a big deal over this? Well, it's no big deal for him because he left yesterday for four days to go to work in Chicago. So here, am I, here I am left with box, hundreds and hundreds of boxes. Here says, Mommy, our house is filled with boxes. And, yeah, it's true, we're unpacking a room at a time, and you know, the packers put the wrong things in the wrong boxes that are not labeled accurately. And I, the dog needed to go to the vet. I needed to find a vet in, like, an emergency situation. It's just it's over the top. It's crazy. One thing after the next, do you feel resentful? See, I can feel myself getting resentful. Even though I wanted, you know, obviously I acquiesced to coming here, my husband's job, it's a you know, great position, et cetera. But that, that, that's the cognitive part of it but the emotional stuff is still there like what am i to me what am i doing here and why am i doing this exactly and there's moments of that for sure and i think it needs to be acknowledged for sure on both of our parts his and hers and um i don't think that we i think that go into it with more planning possible because the more things you have planned out the less stress you have so organization plan as much as you can important deal yeah yeah. And with a little one, I feel like it's important to have, like, he's saying, well, let's just not unpack, you know, a third of the boxes. I'm like, no, we have a little one that needs to feel like this is our home for a year, you know, because we're going to do it again. This is a rental house. Yeah, but by the time you do it again, you'll have at least the outside environment you'll be familiar with. I mean, the town, the people. True. Well, that's exactly true. That's yeah, true. so it's different. The town is a different move than, you know, across country where you know no, nothing and nobody. I have to say, thank God for GPSs. I do not know how people moved 10 years ago or 20 years ago without GPSs. They I have no idea. They asked their neighbor. Maybe they connected more with other people. Who knows? But, uh, you know, I have a book for you to read, and it's not exactly related to your move, but it's it's the, a biography of Michelle Obama. Uh-huh. And it's a big picture of Michelle on the cover. And it's 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 pretty good because she writes about and they had some difficult according to this book anyway they had some difficult times when he moved to Washington when he became a state uh when he became a state senator because then she was left alone with the kids yep. trying to cope they had a lot of difficult and she had a lot of resentment i mean here her husband i mean she wasn't even sure in the beginning she wanted him to run for state senator let alone president of the united states and even though she supported him all the stuff 
you know, he wasn't there to go to the kids' ballet classes. He wasn't there to just do the activities of day, you know, the stuff, tuck him into bed, all those things. And she was resentful. I totally can relate 100%. I have to get the book. I, you have it was to get, one that was yeah. written by her brother, right? This was not written by her brother. It was written by another woman. I don't have the book in front of me, but I will email it to you. Um, it, what, she talks a lot about her brother in the book, but it's a, she's on the cover. There's just a big picture of her on the cover. But it's really interesting, and apparently, they, according to the book, there were a couple times, I mean, Lauren, in their life during this whole process of his becoming more politicized, that they had some really rough times. See, I think everybody does. And it's not fair for us to think that it's all sweet and rosy all the time, because it's not. No. I mean, one one incident, and you'll identify with this, he had to go to some big Democratic thing he was supposed to go to. It was a big event. But the girls also had a ballet recital. And she laid it on the line. You have to go. Forget about the event. You're going to the ballet recital. (laughs) (laughs) So what happened was his people, his PR people said, well, you've got to go to the event. So he went to the ballet recital. Then they hired a plane. So he raced to get on the plane so that he ended up doing both. Oh, my God. Yeah, But he made him do that, and he, you know, this is big-time stuff going to this Democratic event, whatever it was, because it had a big political, would have a big political impact. She laid down the law. Well, he ended up doing both, but he was tired, exhausted, you know. Of course, and who cares? You know, at that point, it doesn't matter. You've got to do it. And there's two things about that. One is I think it's important to lay down the law at some point. That, you know, because oftentimes I think those that are traveling and not present to see what's going on, they don't realize, they don't realize how much their lack of presence is um, impacting the family. So I do think it's important to lay down the law. The other thing is they had gotten divorced. The PR people would have had a much bigger issue on their plate. So they had to, she had, they had to get them there. <laughs> You know what, that, that the, the laying down the law, that first point, uh, I, I think that's really key. And you have to decide at which point you're going to do that, right? Yeah, uh, it's important. I said to my husband the other day, I just want you to know, next move, I will not unpack boxes. I'm just letting you know that a year ahead of time. Plan to pay for it. <laughs> Could you do that now? Can you turn around and hire somebody to come in? Too late. Unpack I already unpacked, you know, 70% of it. But the point is, is that I won't do it again. I'm done. And I'm laying down, I'm drawing the line. I am finished, you know, because I ended up doing the, the bulk of it, and I didn't expect I would. So, you know what? I'm not doing it again by myself. All right. No so way. lesson number one, folks, anyone listening, if you can do it, if you can do it and plan it and organize it, sounds simple, but get somebody to unpack the boxes. Absolutely. Make, make the huge the, difference. Don't put it away, but mm-hmm. put it in the room. Put it in the right room. Another thing that Michelle said that I had, uh, you have mentioned on the show before, too, is that when you have a husband who works away from the house and has gone at long periods of time to, on business, that thing about transitioning when you come, the word transition comes to mind when you come back home and how difficult it is. Like you've said this, like, like to get your, you, you and, and your children, or, you know, you've got your routine, you've got your whole thing, and then he, Maybe sometimes she, but mostly he comes back, and it, fitting him into the whole routine is sometimes very difficult to do. And she mentions Absolutely. that in the book. Yeah, it's an interesting thing to think about and to pay attention to. I'm glad she wrote such a book. It's great. I have to. I want to get it. It's from the heart. It. It. it uh, she didn't write the book. I, I can't remember the author, but whoever the author was, uh, and it's pretty simple. I mean, it just traces her. Her. Uh, childhood and also through Princeton and, and Harvard Law School and on and on. And, and they're quite a team, but despite the fact that they're quite a team, they've got the same problems that you and I have. That's, I mean, that's, yep. you know, with all the other stuff they're doing, they still have those, you know, the family, the kids, the marriage, uh, and, and you can identify with all of that stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I know you can. I have to just say that um, there was, the stressor about this move, interestingly enough, I thought I had it all covered, was that the dog went blind during our drive. How do you know awful. that? Because she was bumping into walls. And, you know, we were going into a different hotel every day, and she didn't know where she was. Oh, it was awful. So what? interesting that you're talking about your dog, because that's who the guest that we're having on our show today. It's all yeah. about the title of the book is A Dog Named Slugger, and it's the true story of a service dog. 
I don't know if you know what a service dog, but a I service do know dog. what a service dog is. Yeah. Uh, well, our listeners will find out more what a service dog is when we have the guest on. But it's an amazing story about this amazing dog. So, and I know that. Oh, yeah. God, it's, it's going to break my heart. It was yeah. a really interesting. I'm because I'm. It was triggering my. I was wanting to write a book with the, about this dog from since he was a puppy, and I haven't done it, and it was triggering like me to do it again. So I'm glad this will be fun. Oh, well, this will trigger it because that's what she writes about, this dog, another dog, and I think she's writing a, a third book, uh, a, a book for children, and I think in relation to these dogs, I think, these service dogs. It's Le- her, the name of the author is Lay Brill. Uh, so anyway, so your dog went blind, so then what did you do? I mean, you had to finish the trip. Yeah, we had to, we're, we had to get to an eye doctor here once we got here, and immediately within 24 hours of getting here, I found one, went, didn't like him, found another one. <laughs> Oh, my God. And what's the reason for the dog's blindness? Glaucoma. But I knew that. I mean, we've been treating it for a year. But stress causes it to get worse. So the dog, poor dog's under stress, you know. Oh, my God, it was awful. So it's not just the kids who are under stress. It's also your it's animals the animal under stress. Absolutely. Big deal. Big deal. And then, of course, you have to be more stressed out because not only do you have to find the pediatrician, you got to find someone with a big hunker thing on your lip, too. Or you... <laughs> Because all your stress, at least all my stress, gets just caught up in that big. It looks. I'm saying it's not a boil, but this big herpes thing on your lip. It's amazing. I once put in an offer for a house that I really didn't want, and it was down to the wire. And I was negotiating, and I didn't get it. And uh-huh. I had the biggest herpes on my lip. It came like overnight. And, and mine didn't, although it's not, you know, it's in the phase where you can't see it yet, so whatever. Yeah. So what do you do for it? Well, what I did was I lost the bid, and the minute I lost the bid on the house... <laughs> it went away. It went away. See, it was amazing. So I didn't really have to do anything. I mean, it was almost like all that emotional stuff can get caught up in whatever your weakest part of your body is, or if you have that virus in you, it never goes away. Uh, and that's what happens. <laughs> <laughs> I was so glad. I think our bodies know. Our bodies totally know. Yeah, you just have to whether you're under stress or yeah, that stress that house was causing you more stress than it needed to. Exactly. I was so glad I didn't get it. Funny how things work out. Exactly. But I do think you know it's interesting. I have to say it's been a chilly in California. I'm surprised how cold I am. I went from 100 degrees to 65, freezing. So I'm trying to figure out if I'm liking this weather. But it's gorgeous. I have an ocean view. I'm looking at the ocean right now. Lauren always has water. You Somehow you always manage to get beside water, whether you're in New York, whether you're in Texas, and now you're in California. In the Southern California area, I think yes. you're going to want to hear what my prediction is. I think you're going to love it. I think, well, I think so, too, overall, I do. I mean, I think you're just going to get into the whole California like ambiance, and you're just going to, because you just have all, you know, you're going to take all that stuff, and you've kind of been working your way across the country. <laughs> it's true. You know, you went from New York to Texas, and now you're in California, and you've got all the the stuff that you've learned along the way, but you're going to put it in that Southern California setting, and I think there's just a lot of, there is a lot happening that's different out there, let's say, than there is in in, in Texas. Definitely, and you feel that right away. It's yeah, I definitely feel that right away. Very, um, a little more, you know, down to earth kind of feel. Um, even in how people are dressing and how people are, you know, just more casual. And where Austin, I think, was a little less. But I was for the, you know, Texas. So that's like think pretty normal. Yeah, even though Austin was liberal, the liberal kind of bastion in in Texas, it's still more conservative. So. Uh... I'm thinking. Well, you still see. Yeah. Well, I mean, how long have you been there? A day? A couple of days, yeah. I haven't been out of my <laughs> house much, though. The neighbors are like, can Sierra come and play? And Sierra doesn't want to go out without me. You know, she doesn't want to go to a strange person's house without me. I don't totally don't blame her after this big move. So they don't understand the fact that she won't come over without me. And I'm like, sorry, I'll see you in a month. <laughs> yeah. You have to wait. I mean, look, you've got the four-year-old to adjust. You've got you to adjust. You've got the blind dog. You have the herpes on your lip. You've got a lot of stuff going. And you have the boxes to unpack. Yeah, it's a lot. And the, the show is with you. And, you know, life goes on. The show goes on. 
Exactly. Life does go on, and the show is going to go on, but you, we're gonna, we have to take a break. But uh, Leigh Brill coming up next. She's author of A Dog Named Slugger, The True Story of the Service Dog That Changed My Life, says she. Lauren Beller, Blake, Catherine Soft, you're listening to Voice America and radio, uh, talk radio, <laughs> worldtalkradio.com. We'll be back in a minute. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Money. We love it, we hate it, and everything in between. You can be the master of your life and your own economics. Join Professor Laurie Lamantia each week for the program, Making Peace with Money. Laurie will help you realize the power to create fulfillment in your life and shed new light on your money madness. You'll learn how to make peace with money and feel the joy and freedom renewed in your life. Making Peace with Money is broadcast live every Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Do you need directions to solve financial future? If so, the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, for the Money Answer Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Listening to the Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll free number is 866 472 5788. That number again is 866 472 5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, with my co host, Lauren Deller Blake, on the West Coast. I'm East Coast, and you're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com World Talk Radio. And our guest is Leigh Brill, and she's the author of A Dog Named Slugger, the true story of the service dog that changed my life. Um, Lay is a professional counselor and a motivational speaker. She has uh, cerebral palsy, and this book is, tells the story of an extraordinary service dog, Slugger, who she described helped her through college, amongst other things, um, and it's in the tradition of Marley and me. I and uh, actually had the author of Marley and me on the show last year. Anyway, welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Lay. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Quite a book. Uh, I recommend it to everybody. You can go online at laybrill.com for more information about her and the book. But um, some people don't know even, well, let's start, I was going to ask you about your cerebral palsy, but then I think I'm going to ask you first, what is a service dog? Because we have to know who we're talking about. We're talking about Slugger, and not everybody knows what a service dog is. Right. Well, um, service dogs are dogs that are specially trained to help with the physical challenges that folks with disabilities may have. Um, that can be mobility assistance, like helping to provide balance. It can be picking up dropped items, um, opening heavy doors, doing that kind of task work. And typically it takes about two years to train a service dog to do that kind of work. And not just any dog is sort of cut out for that kind of um, job, but they are similar in some ways, service dogs are, to um, guide dogs or dogs that help people with visual impairments. They're just trained to assist with other types of uh, disabilities and challenges. And is it Lee or Lay? It's actually Lee. Lee. Okay, Lee. Um, well, you talk about they have to have a certain kind of a personality, the service dogs, to do this. And also, as you note in the book, it's, it's like 
the dog also has to get along with the right owner. There has to be a good match. There has to be a good relation, personality match so that they can have the relationship that works for both of them. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, I think in the book I mentioned that in some ways that kind of partnership is similar to an adoption. And part of what has to be considered with any service dog partnership, uh, there are things like lifestyle, um, the the family that's involved, uh, the personality of the dog, like are they the type of dog that wants to be on the go all the time or would they rather just sort of chill out and take a few naps during the day? Uh, you know, what are the dog's strengths based on how that relates to what each individual person might need? Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot to match both in terms of the person and their needs and the dog's strengths and then you know just uh (laughs) some people like goofy dogs and some people would prefer dogs that are a little more low-key and so there's there's a lot of matching even at that level yeah because if you think about i mean if you think about the different kinds of households and you mentioned i mean i as i remember slugger your dog um, had been with a, a family with lots of kids or whatever. It was a totally different situation because you were single at the time, uh, so and didn't get along with that family. Or they, they there wasn't a, a kind of a, a simpatico as there was when uh, when the slugger came to you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was evidently, from what I understood, originally considering being considered for a match with a lady with a lot of children and. You know, an 85-pound dog is an 85-pound dog, and when you have plenty of youngsters running around the house and a lot going on uh, with that and add an 85-pound dog to the mix, I could certainly see that that would be, you know, a little more to deal with than maybe what I was dealing with in terms of lots of folks in the family and that sort of thing. So, and let's uh, talk about what you were dealing with because your particular disability mm-hmm. uh, requiring or you, you know, the sort of the transition when you felt, well, I do need the service dog. Um, you were born with congenital cerebral palsy, uh, but you had never had a service dog before. Tell us about, I guess, your, your, um, your particular disability and why you needed the dog and when you came to the realization, hey, I'm going to do this because that's a big decision. Right. <clears throat> I'm sorry. Excuse me. i got a frog in my throat. Yeah. Um, it was very interesting process that I went through to come to the decision to get a service dog um, because I liked to be independent and for years, you know, dealing with my cerebral palsy, I tried to just sort of do things on my own and and make it look easy and some things like that. And about the time I got to college and grad school, um, some of the physical demands of that life, you know, running around campus and carrying books and, and doing that sort of thing became more than I could comfortably handle physically. I started having more physical problems like stress fractures in my feet and things like that. So even though I think at one level I, I didn't want to admit to needing additional help, I really didn't have a choice but to acknowledge it after a while. So... I actually met a lady with a service dog, uh, the first team that I met, and it was wonderful when I watched the two of them. I just, I was entranced. I could watch them work together, and I was like, holy smokes, how cool is that, you know? And so when I would watch them, I got really uh, enamored with the partnership that they shared and um, asked this lady, this friend of mine, if she could give me some information, and she said, well, did you ever stop to think maybe you could get a service dog? And once she sort of planted that little seed of hope, I realized if I was going to pursue a way to give myself self more help, this was the way I wanted to do it. So then I started the application process and found out more about service dogs and held my breath and talked about service dogs and just about did everything until, um, you know, I applied with Caring Canine Companions and Slugger came into my life. So what would you say, Lee, I mean, that was your defining moment. One slugger came into your life, uh, and you described it obviously in the book, but um, what were some of the difficulties? Because the relationship, and I don't have a dog. Lauren does, and she's very close to, we were just talking about it before you came on the show, her dog, who's going blind. Um, 
there's a difference between the relationship and just a dog that you have, you know, not a service dog, but just one that's part of the family. There's a whole partnership there that's different, isn't it? I mean, because they're working for you. They're, you know, it's it's a job to be done on one level. Yes, and I really appreciate your point um, because I think sometimes it's easy to consider service dogs as well. They're, you know, just sort of really cool pets, and they are certainly really cool pets, but there is a whole other level to the partnership that people have with service dogs, um, specifically because they are so specially trained and so highly trained to to work with their partner. And emotionally, too, there is what I consider one of the highest expressions of the human-animal bond is is part of what service dog partnership encompasses. It's just there's nothing that I have ever experienced that I can relate to it. Um, even marriage, as wonderful as that's been, it's, it's, there's just a difference. And I think it's because part of what service dog partnership is is independence. You know, the dog enables me to be more independent, but there's also an interdependence there between the dog and the person, between me and Slugger and, and other, you know, service dogs that is very, very powerful and very empowering at a level that I think is, you know, certainly pet plus is this how I would describe it. Yeah. So, Lee, how do you bring a partner, a husband, into that picture? Because that's not an easy thing to do. You're bringing in this third person, and that's a whole other realm of relation. I mean, Slugger, for instance, has a different relationship with your husband, obviously, than with you. And how does that, how do you, how did you, um, how were you able to adjust or to accommodate as a family with your service dog? You know, that was a bit of a gradual process. And, um, you know, initially when Slugger met my husband, Pranov, he would be around him when Slugger was in work mode and, and he got used to, you know, Pranov being part of my life that way. And he's like, yeah, okay, that's great. And then we would begin to meet at times that Slugger wasn't in work mode. And when he would get the chance to just hang out with Pranov and the two of them would play and, you know, sometimes I would give Pranov some little cheese treats to give to Slugger those kinds of things sort of helped to pave the way so that the two of them would begin their own connection. And, you know, there were there were things that the two of them would share, like little games that they would play that I didn't play with Slugger. Like my husband used to do um, a game of um, hide-and-seek with Slugger that Slugger just adored. Pranov would go hide in the closet and then call Slugger to him, and they just sort of would develop their own ways of relating and the special things that they share between the two of them. And I was also very fortunate. Um, I, I can't imagine what would have happened if I would have had, tried to have a relationship with somebody who wasn't an animal person just because that's so much of who I am. But um, it well, you did probably help wouldn't that, have. I can't imagine, given the circumstances. I mean, and your relationship. Right. Yeah, I mean that that would not be a wouldn't seem to me be a good fit for a relationship mm-hmm. or a marriage. Mm-hmm. And I, I was also very fortunate, though, too. In addition to being a an animal person, um, Pranav was also very respectful. Once I explained it to him of the bond that I shared with Slugger, and he quickly understood, you know, there would be times that he would play with Slugger, but he also knew if Slugger was in packs and working, there were certain things that he should do or should not do in order to honor the bond and the working partnership that we were enacting, you know, if we went in public or something. Like even my husband, when we would go to the store, for example, he wouldn't just reach down and start playing with Slugger while Slugger was in work mode because he knew that would distract the dog from what he was supposed to do. So it certainly helped, like I said, to have an animal person as my partner, and it also helped that Pranov was very understanding of what our partnership meant. And he has you know, that over the years. Inside the family and your husband, we're going to take a break, mm-hmm. but you bring up a point I want to uh, talk to when we come back is that, you know, other people's responses, you know, the outside world, because... 
they have a response to your dog too, and maybe it should or is a little bit different when you have a dog in work mode, like Slugger, a service dog, than just some a dog that's simply just a pet. We'll be back in a, in a few minutes. Don't go away. I'm Catherine Zops, your social worker with the microphone, with my co-host Lauren Bella Blake, and we're talking to Lee Brill, author of A Dog Named Slugger: The True Story of the Service Dog That Changed My Life. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Hi, this is Dr. Vijaya Nair. Together with my dear friend, Dr. Howard Piper, we are hosting our own show called Kiss Your Life Hello. We are two internationally recognized experts, researchers, authors, and health advocates in holistic medicine and counseling. We promise you a fantastic show with interesting guest experts to educate and entertain you with the latest information on mind, body, and spirit wellness. Join us on Wednesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific and 10 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. See you there. If your pets could talk, they'd tell you to tune in to Pet Shop Talk. Join internationally recognized animal massage therapist Lola Jean Michelin every week for a show that covers everything from nutrition, health care, and training for your pet or animal. Lola and her guest experts will bring you the latest trends in the pet care industry. And even if you're not a pet owner, you'll find out why pets do the crazy things they do. Tune in each Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Listening to the Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll free number is 866 472 5788. That number again is 866 472 5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, with Lauren Deller Blake, my co host, and you're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com, World Talk Radio. Uh, if you're just joining us, our guest today is Lee Brill, author of A Dog Named Slugger, The True Story of the Service Dog. That changed my life, and we're right in the middle of the story that we you were talking about the well, we were talking about the relationship that your dog uh, that Slugger had with or had with your husband, but now the outside world too, because you know you have this great dog, this great lab, and you're out with the dog, and people like to touch it and talk to it and play with it. But when when Slugger, when a service dog is working, it's a different ball game, literally. So how do you handle that? That that's an excellent question, and it's one that um, I have faced a lot over the years with my service dog, and one that I had to grow into, for lack of a better way to put it. Um, because basically, when a service dog is in its harness, in its working packs, and in public working for its partner, it's better not to distract the dog, not to pet it, not to you know, talk to it or make little barking noises or kissing noises or whatever that we might like to do with our pets when we're just hanging out with them. But um, when service dogs are in work mode, they need to be focused on the person that they're working with, which is why it's very important not to distract them when they're in public. Because most pets, you know, aren't really trained to go set a paw in the mall, for example, or, or go to the grocery store or the theater or, um, you know, I, my dogs have flown across the country with me and certainly it's not just any pet who would be able to do that comfortably and part of part of their working mode is to be that focused and not to go visit with other people or play with other people while they're working. I'm going to give you an example. Probably mm-hmm. the most 
intimate example that I've ever had working or contact with a service dog. This was a few years ago. I did volunteer radio work for uh, reading to the print disabled and the blind. We were reading newspapers uh, to people who we had a, uh, a radio show that went into their homes, and it would, two people would read for two hours a newspaper uh, in a studio in a uh, public radio station uh, providing you know, uh, the information to people who couldn't read themselves. Mm-hmm. So I got there one morning, and you have about a half an hour of where you prepare and decide who's going to read what article. And uh, the woman who came, she was in a wheelchair. I can't remember her name. And I think it was Sally. And so she said to me, and the head, woman who headed the program said, do you mind if Sally's dog sits in the studio with you while you both are reading? Mm-hmm. So I said, no, that's fine. But I'm thinking in my head, you know, these studios are really tiny. We both have an, a, a mic that's on, and any mm-hmm. kind of noise just goes right over the airways, right? Right. Big dog. All right, so we did our preparation. Then we go in, so we go into this tiny little studio, and he flipped on the light. He mm-hmm. prepared everything for her. It was like I'm sitting there. I'm like totally amazed. She and I are sitting opposite each other because we have our our things that hold up our newspapers. And after mm-hmm. he had done everything that needed to be done for her, he got underneath the the sort of the table. It's more of a ta- uh, stand that we had our newspapers on. And for two hours, I didn't. We uh, we did not. I did not hear a word. I even forgot that he was there. Excellent. And then at the end, I felt this kind of warm thing against my leg, and I was, oh my gosh! <laughs> and then it was the end of the show, and wow. he turned up the light, and he did all of his. And I, I was just. I mean, it was like amazing. I mean, and that's a situation you talk about being focused because really right. any kind of noise or disturbance, you can hear it, right? Oh the, yeah, yeah. And, that was my experience with the service dog, and I thought, oh, my God, he, when I said to her, I mean, he's amazing. It, that, so that's my – and I, I don't think that I – well, that was – and, and since I haven't had that kind of an experience, but um, so I'm understanding as I'm reading your book, that's what I was thinking about. Well, that was an excellent experience. He sound like sounds like he was just on the mark. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, and it is funny because sometimes – I've noticed I'll go out to, say, a restaurant or something, and Kenda, my current dog, well, she'll go under the table, and Slugger would do the same thing and tuck under the table while we eat, and we'd get up and leave at the end. And people don't know that you have a dog, and all of a sudden they're like, oh, my gosh, where did that dog come from? You know, it's it's really funny when that happens because the dogs are so well-trained to stay quiet in certain situations and just be calm and non-disruptive and that sort of thing. And one of my favorite stories with with that sort of encounter with the service dog was I was flying to um, across the country with uh, Slugger to California, and he was in the airplane with me. We had the bulkhead seat, so he was just laying there, you know, kind of chilling out. And I I don't think he was asleep, but he was just laying there very quietly. And a lady came up from the back of the plane she was sitting behind us and I guess she hadn't seen us when we loaded onto the plane and she came up to the front and was standing there waiting in line and she looked over and all of a sudden like Slugger lifted his head that poor lady screamed she said I thought he was stuffed (laughs) no it's an actual dog so the poor lady that was a bit of a startling moment for her, I think. But uh, that was very funny. She needed a warning. That was moments, like, and he just kind of looked like, "What? No, I'm not stuffed. I just lifted my head." <laughs> uh, well, that's, yeah, that's an amazing, That's a funny story. I was gonna, another, but you know, you also didn't you have a, a, a two things, but a sign on his harness, like there's that I'm at work, or there is something that does warn the general public. Um, that I am a service dog and that I am at work right now doing what I have to do. Yes, yes. Um, the packs that the dogs wear, at least the ones that I have used, all have signs that say, please do not pet because they're working. And, and that does seem to help because as cute as the dogs are or as beautiful or as charming as they can be when they're working, it's so tempting to just reach down and pet them because they just look like that's what they're made for. So it helps to have the sign on the pack that actually says, you know, please don't pet. Yeah. Now, are they trained to react differently to adults 
than children, because children can't read, children don't know. Um, so there might be a different reaction to a child who approaches the dog and tries to touch him and play with him than there would be from an adult? Actually, my dog responds the same either way. He'll just, he would just like stand there and if kids come up to them or, or even, um, I've had situations where little ones will accidentally pull the dog's tail or not realize what they're doing, but the dogs are so well trained, they just kind of tuck their tail in and move out of the way. Um, they seem to do a lot with avoidance when things like that happen just to, to remove themselves from situations if people are, you know, playing with them too much or, or accidentally pulling a tail or anything like that. So that's, the dogs actually respond the same way in, in either case. So, Well, now you had Slugger for many, many years, and of course this is what this, all part of the story, but uh, at some point um, he um, got old and sick. Mm-hmm. And uh, talk to us about that, because it would seem that experience of having to, to lose a dog who you've been that close to in so many different ways um, is, is, I guess, part of the whole, pro- you know, you get so close to somebody, but then, of course, this, or, or this, this animal, and then you lose him and have to go on and establish this, a similar or same kind of relationship with another dog. How was that for you? That was um, heartbreaking, challenging, it, one of the most difficult times that I have been through in my entire life. Uh, when Slugger became ill and, you know, it became obvious that his cancer wasn't something we were going to be able to do a whole lot about other than keeping him com- uh, comfortable, uh, it was just heart-wrenching to realize what that meant um, for him and for what would become of our partnership, um, knowing that I would have to say goodbye. It's like you know that in your head, and then when the message reaches your heart, it it takes on a different level. So I really, really struggled with that when he became ill. Um, I was glad at the time that I did have my second little service dog, Kenda, because she helped to look after Slugger. She actually did quite a few things. Um, if he couldn't find his toy, she'd go get his toy for him. She used to do what I called drive-by lickings, where she'd trot by him when, if he was laying on the floor in the house or laying on his bed. She'd trot by him and lick the top of his head and keep on going. It was just she just really helped him out too. So as he was ill and as as our bond changed and everything, it did really helped me to have Kenda there for my own needs as well as feeling like she was helping to look after him. And as painful as that time was that we went through, the one thing I just kept telling myself was, this dog gave you his best. You have to do the same for him. And Which you did. Yes. And, and it was that, hard. I mean, I, I found that amazing because, you know, ha- get, having a new dog, a female mm-hmm. as opposed to a male, and making that transition for you and for Slugger, for both. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you would recommend to the individuals or people who ha- have a, a service dog and are going through that process, like to bring in another dog into their home and help make that transition? Is, does it make it easier? Is that, is that something that's usually do, is that done if you know ahead of time that, say, your dog is old or sick? I mean, you don't always know that, but... Right. And I think that's an excellent question because it, it's it's one that anybody that has a service dog eventually has to consider, and it's not an easy one. Um, my answer, I guess, to would I recommend it, um, it certainly worked well for me in the situation with Slugger and Kenda. And I would also say it is such a personal decision. Um, you know, I have friends who have service dogs who have said, I wouldn't want that. I wouldn't want to do that. Or, you know, other dogs have different personalities where it might not be okay with them. It might be more difficult for the dog. Um, I will say, too, that when I made that decision, 
I decided that Slugger would have the first and final say as to whether or not the match would work. And so he had to get along with Kenda as well as I got along with Kenda. And once I saw that that was in place, then I felt that it was okay to move forward working with her. But it's really, you know, overlapping the two dogs like that is a very individual choice. And um, I've known people who have done it and people who have said they'd rather not. And, you know, I it certainly was something that worked for me, but it's really one of those things. It's very individual when you get to that point, what's going on with your current dog, what's going on in your own life. And also, you know, would you have a second dog whose personality would be such that they would recognize how they would fit into your family picture and how they would establish their partnership with you. Yeah, I mean, I was very fortunate. That's a really a good point, I think, to we have to say goodbye, but I think it's to be aware of who you are, who your family is, who your particular dog is, what your needs are. So it is, those are individual choices. There's nothing written in stone saying that you have to, uh, operate in one particular way. I think um, that's what I hear you saying, that you just yeah. have to understand what your own needs are and your own family and your own situation. Uh, I just want to remind listeners that we have been talking to Lee Brill. She is author of A Dog Named Slugger, which is the true story of the service dog that changed her life. And you can go to her website, Lee, L-E-I-G-H-B-R-I-L-L dot com, uh, to buy the book, to get more information about her, and to actually you can read about because a new book is coming up, and you'll have to go to the website to find out what it is. Uh, great having you on the show this morning. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, I did too. Lee Brill. We'll be back in a minute. Lauren Bella Blake, Catherine Sox, VoiceAmericaVariety.com. Don't go away. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Best Boomer Towns delivers the inside scoop on the best 21 places to relocate or retire in the U.S. Listen to columnists town bloggers and local residents as we highlight a town each week talk show host nancy shaka brings you the best and the brightest as a baby boomer you experience Beatlemania, woodstock vietnam and the women's movement today you're educated health-minded and thinking about where to spend your future tune in at noon pacific 3 p.m eastern to best boomer towns every thursday on the voice america variety channel and start planning the best rest of your life emotional intelligence has been documented to be the most important skill for a leader to move up in an organization leaders playbook will unpack what emotional intelligence is why it is important and how you can raise your emotional intelligence for yourself your direct reports and your teams join dr relly nadler every monday morning at 9 a.m pacific 12 p.m eastern to the leaders playbook on the voice america business channel your success your success could depend on it Women in business today face many challenges in advancing their careers and reaching their goals. There are corporate executives, entrepreneurs, and business owners that have made their mark in business. Now you can learn their secrets and tips. Listen to Women Mean Business as your host, Bonnie Marcus, explores how to thrive in the business environment, navigate the workplace, and climb the corporate ladder. Listen live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and effectively promote yourself today. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone with Lauren Beller Blake, and you're listening to us on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. And our guest, who just left left us for the moment, or no, is Lee Brill, and she's the author of a dog named Slugger. We were talking about who is a service dog. Um, 
you know, Lauren, also I want to mention this because a portion of the, the proceeds from this book, A Dog Named Slugger, will go to support the life-changing work of St. Francis Service Dogs, uh, and they're in Roanoke, Virginia. Cool. Yeah, so if you are going to buy the book, know that uh, a portion of that money that you pay for the book will go to St. Francis Service Dogs in Roanoke, Virginia, and you can go to stfrancisdogs.org for more information about that. You can also go to Assistance Dogs International if you want more information about these kinds of dogs, and that's online, assistancedogsinternational.org or workingdogs.com. You know, and it, I think people think that you only get a service dog if you there's something not right with you and you need it. But there's look, there people are always looking for people to raise service dogs so that at some point that dog will go to the person that it's going to care for. You're but right. It needs that someone is... to raise them. It needs people to you know take care of it and train it the way it needs to be trained. And there are families that do that. And of course, exactly. that's a whole other. Um, process, which is interesting because the dog that, that Lee got um, Slugger from uh, is described a little bit in the book. I mean, you have a family, and may, they may have kids, and they learn how to raise these dogs or to train them for two years, like you're talking about, and then they have to be able to give up the dog. I mean, that's a, certainly a lesson for these children, a, a life you know, lesson, um, which is interesting when you have a family who trains these dogs, because they do start out in, in, in families. Exactly. They start out with the regular family that just trains them and then gets them ready and to go serve somebody. Yeah, and then they have to get ready to leave them. Um, I don't know if I'd be able to do that. I think that's I don't know. really... I'll be honest with you. I don't know if I could do it either. <laughs> that's very tough. I guess if you go, it's the, the mindset, if you go into it with that mindset, like you know that that's the goal, it's different then if you're going into it like this is going to be a lifetime kind of thing. So the expectation is that the dog is going to leave. The other thing that I think would be cool is if you know somebody that needs a service dog to actually train the dog um, knowing that it's going to go to a certain person that you may know. That would be cool, too, because then you could visit the dog and see how it's helping, and that would be really valuable. Uh, Do they do that? I don't know, but I'm sure why not, you know? That's interesting. Yeah, maybe they do. Yeah, so that you... well, it's sort of like, you know, when children were adopted 30 years ago, in most adoptions were closed adoptions and you never saw the biological parents again. That's the way they did it. Yeah, but, it's but today, now. Yeah, it's changing. It's sort of like what you're talking about because you, what, you might give your child up for adoption, but you maintain a relationship with the family that adopted them and so yeah. that the, the child can, what they call an open adoption, can still you know, still have contact with their biological family. It's the same kind of thing. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's interesting how how times are really changing on those things. Yeah, I would think that you could do that. I would think that you could raise a dog knowing that it's going to go to a certain person. Transparency. Isn't that what we're talking about? No, I love that. Yeah, Transparency. It's a different trend. It's a different way of operating. It is a different way. It's more open, more um, upfront, more yeah, less less secrets or I don't know if secrets is the right word, but just more open. Yeah. So anyway, a dog named Slugger, and there's a big picture of the dog on the cover. Cool. Yeah. So does that inspire you? I mean, for your how old is your dog? My dog's only seven and a half. It's awful. That's young, right? To have I'm very young. No, no, it's very normal. Oh, it Glaucoma is. is usually diagnosed in dogs between six and eight. She was right smack in the middle, right where she, you know, where quote you're supposed to be. Yeah, pretty normal. But they live pretty great lives. I sort of was listening to her because the, this dog, what they say about blind dogs is they need a really thoughtful, seeing human. <laughs> it's the opposite. Usually, dogs help blind people. Yeah, it's sort of going to be the opposite for us. And she's adjusting. It's amazing. And oh, she's not totally blind yet. She was, she's going totally blind, and then it will come back. And then she's blind totally, and it comes back. It's very strange, but that's how glaucoma works. I didn't know that. I think Yeah, so it's interesting. It's like I'm teaching her step down, step up, and she gets it. And of a week, she got it. You know, she's, she feels with her foot. She's Like when I say step down, she feels. She feels for the step. It's so cool. 
Now, what about Sierra? Because she's four years old. Can she be involved in, in the process of helping, helping the dog? There's that she is totally into it, and there's other moments that she'll pretend to be a dog and she can't see, and then there's other moments that she gets frustrated and she just, you know, get out of my, she has no patience for her. So she goes, all three stages, we go through this very compassionate, I want to I want to teach her, I want to teach her, I want to lead her, I want to lead her to, uh, Mommy, I'm a blind uh, kitty. Help yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That is so normal. It's amazing. I mean, that is so typical for I can help. I still can empathize a little bit, but there's only so far. I I mean, two-year-olds can't empathize. Four-year-olds start getting, you know, it's all about me. It's all about, and that's the way it should be. They're narcissistic. If one of their friends gets hurt, you know how two-year-olds, they'll just look at the person who's hurt and then run away or... (laughs) But exactly. The four-year-olds have uh, they have their foot in the water a little bit, but then it's yeah. like I'm needy too. I can't. Exactly. I'm not going to go all the way with this because I'm a little kitty and I need help. Yep. Exactly. So funny. But yeah. She's doing well with it. I mean, it's interesting. She tells everybody when they first, you know, be nice to our dog. She can't see very good. He's very sweet. Oh my goodness. And I think it's good for them to have something to empathize with. All right, now let's, since we, we don't have that much time left, so I want to do the jumping off point for it. You're sitting there with your boxes getting unpacked because we're going to follow this whole thing. Um, what's the next step? I mean, husband away, doing the work that he's doing, and that's why you're there. Um, in terms of balance, in terms of your work, in terms of your daughter, in terms of doing the household, I mean, what's the next step? I'm interviewing you. I want you to give advice to women who are in the position that you're in? My next step or what other people should be doing? <laughs> well, it's always, I learn, you know, I, I learn from other people's stories. I, I, and in not necessarily famous people or, I mean, yes, I read Michelle's book, but I just learn, I mean, when, and sometimes it will just be a small piece, something that they say, and I think, oh, you know, that fits, it works for me. And I think, you know, on radio, you have an opportunity to, to share that. I mean, you just went yeah, through this, for sure. are going through this big life experience, and you are a coach, and you are an expert, but you're also going through this. So what would you say to somebody who's sitting well, I, there with their boxes? I think for me, I think I need to, it's, you know, now that I'm in a new location and know one person, the new nanny that I hired that I didn't know when I hired her, just like we rented this house on Craigslist, didn't see it before we rented it, just because timing was crazy. Um, but it's time to develop a network. It's absolutely time to develop a network and to take the time to go meet people and, you know, get out in the world and go see what's going on and where who can support me because I can't, you know, as he continues to travel and do his thing, I can't do it alone. And, we, you know, we talked about this when I lived in Austin, that we cannot do big things alone. We can't, we can't raise children alone. We can't um, have a business that's successful alone. So it's time to build my network. Because if you don't do that, I think it's really easy to, 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 to get depressed. And maybe not a clinical depression, but to have that general feeling of malaise and to not be able to do what you need to do if you don't make those connections. And even if it's difficult, make yourself do it. I think that's really important. Yeah, for sure. It's so, I think that's the next step for me. I, obviously, I have two or three more rooms to unpack and then get some pictures hung on the walls so that I'm not echoing when I speak to you. <laughs> and get the pictures on the wall. I find, and I have a friend who does this, this is a, she travels a lot. And one thing I always notice, anytime she's in a hotel room, go into her room, and I've traveled with her, she has pictures of her family. She'll have a personal something from her house. She personalizes the most mundane of hotel rooms. And it doesn't take a lot of stuff, but it's such a simple thing to do. And I've learned that from her. Like if I have to go somewhere and be someplace at a long period of time, I take a couple pictures of, of my family uh, or familiar books or whatever is familiar to you. And you know what? It changes everything. That is so interesting. I love that concept. Yeah. And we have to say goodbye. That was a fast hour. Have a good week. Have a with a microphone. Lauren Beller-Blake, VoiceAmericaVariety.com. I hope you guys had a great day today. Lauren and I will see you next week. We hope you have enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.